Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 329th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by longtime patrons Dempsey K. Tapley, Kip Adler, and Alex Grabaskis. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlo. Today we've got John Wolf on the show. John's the EP behind Adam Ruins Everything and the new Netflix series, The G Word. But in addition to EP Yank, he also directed all of the sketch portions of The G Word uh, with Adam Conover. So we talk about his interesting journey to becoming a director. He started as a producer, worked his way up, ended up as EP, and then realized that his true passions really were all on the creative side and pretty strategically worked his way over into doing just the things that he wanted to do. It's a super inspiring story. John's super smart, really wonderful to talk to. I think it's a pretty inspiring story for people. It's worth mentioning just kind of at the top, just to set the table for everyone. John did all of the sketch portions of the G Word, but a separate director who perhaps we'll have on the show sometime soon, fingers crossed, did all of the documentary pieces. So we talked just about the relationship of having two different directors, how the baton toss between sketch and documentary works a little bit. Um, But just to kind of like paint the picture, John's in the studio world, not out in the field. Well, before we talk to John, you want to chat a little bit about things I've been thinking about? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or is there something you want me to ask you? Because I've been dying to know what have you been working on lately? Well, thanks for asking, Matt. I got three quick things I wanted to bring up. These are more follow up. Mm. One of our listeners had asked me if he could come on set and we brainstormed what we can do. Uh-huh. I talked to the producer and we're going to see if he will be an extra on our shoot. I think that was a really good idea. So that's that. Also, my project, the Temple Hill Audible one, sent it off to our guy at Temple Hill. He sent it off to Audible and we're like, so what they say? And he's like, they loved it. Oh, congrats, man. Stay tuned. And that was like a week ago. So yeah, (laughs) just to give you some insight into the speed of Hollywood. Like I think the guy that loves it still needs to get his whole team on board. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they could love it and it could not be right for them a million times over. But at least it was good feedback because this was, you know, kind of been developing it for a while. I was talking to a producer friend and he's like, you shouldn't do all this stuff without 
any contracts written up and all that. And I don't know, I kind of disagreed with him, but we'll see what happens next. So it's exciting slash maybe dangerous, but probably not. You mean in terms of like idea theft? Is that what they're warning you against? In terms of just like us doing free work, but Mm -hmm. like my actually talk with John was pretty good about that because they did like quote unquote free work developing their show to get it sold. And I think it's something a lot of people are like always like worried about, like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm working for free. But I feel like everyone is working for free, including the Temple Hill folks, the Audible folks, like until a deal is being made. Those people are on salary. We are not. So so in a certain sense, yeah, only the creatives right. are, are working for free. However, if you're worried about somebody stealing your idea, just stop. It's less about the worrying about stealing. It's more it's more about the ownership. Like since we're developing with the company, do we still just making sure we still fully own whatever is being developed? Well, well, you do without any question. You are the author and owner, sole owner of everything. They don't have exclusive rights to shopping those materials. There's things that they need to do to to protect themselves as well. That becomes more of an issue the higher profile you are. If it's easy for you to be like, well, I happen to have relationships at X, Y, and Z. And you guys, you know, unless we pay for this and you pay up, I'm going to take it elsewhere. And they lose face. That That's, you know, kind of their end of the bargain in a situation where there aren't that many buyers and they know that you, they're kind of like the best place in town. You don't really have a ton of leverage to your point. Yeah. I think there are people who are worried about working for free and and there's a privilege to that, right? Like being able to make a living another way or being able to afford to work for free is, is a complicated thing. But if you can do it and you're working other jobs and stuff in the meantime, I think it is oftentimes the course of least resistance. And when there's so much friction trying to get something made, anything you can do to make it a little bit easier is helpful. Not everyone's going to agree with me. And I'm that's probably wrong plenty of times. But I think in this specific circumstance, I wouldn't sweat it in the slightest bit. Like if the worst case scenario is that you worked for free and you don't sell a show, that's what happens when you write things on spec. That's, that's literally always the gamble. So like th- those are table stakes. If you can't afford to lose those stakes, then you have to figure other things out, unfortunately. Um, The third thing I was going to bring up is I had a location scout today and two of our three locations have really big windows, which I love. Mm. I believe when we had Hanalee Culpepper. Yeah, when we had Hanalee Culpepper, she was like, there's a window. I just put my actors right in front of it. It just looks so good. And it like kind of changed my whole way of thinking about windows, maybe for the worst, because now I always just want to put people in front of windows and the DPs are like, eh. I don't know if we're going to like, this will be something we're battling. The sun's moving this thing, like whatever. But the two windows that I now want to shoot in front of both actually have pretty ugly things outside the windows. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is a tree, but it's like kind of dying. It's like, you know, there's a drought in California and water issues. Yeah. Kind of a brownish dying tree and like an ugly building across the street. The other one is uh, it's on Melrose, this place right across from like, Gower Studios or something where it's just like mm-hmm. giant movie posters mm-hmm. on the side of a building and a bunch Wait, of cars. Where are, you, where are you shooting? Where is it? It's this, is um, it studio it, space or? No, it's a co, the, it's supposed to look like a WeWork, but it, it's like uh, a different co-working space called Ubi, Y-O-U-B-E. Mm-hmm. You guys should check them out. Um, 
Their name is but very so, similar to YouTube, which is the one, my one thing I don't like about them, but they're, they're pretty awesome. And they'll give you a day for free of coworking if you want to check it out. But yeah, so what do we do with these giant windows? They have blinds there, but they're basically, you can close them and it looks super dark. I am going to have our production designer just bring all new blinds, like kind of the vertical, mm-hmm. vertical blinds, because I want it to look kind of like a little throwback office Um in one location, then we're going to do like the Venetian blinds in the other location. And windows can be tricky. And if it's like a workplace, blinds are almost always the, the solution because you can still get light through them, but you can angle them wherever you want. You can create interesting shadows you can put lights outside and, you know, kind of get interesting shapes to come inside. And then if you're shooting at like a house, like a lot of times shears or curtains could be good. But some of you newer filmmakers or the DIY folks out there that are kind of doing a lot of stuff there themselves, just windows give you production value, but sometimes you don't want to see what's outside those windows. So blinds are are a great tool. Well, and also to your point of like DPs sometimes don't love that because you're battling the sun all the time. If you're diffusing them somehow with art, that makes it a heck of a lot easier to make things consistent. You can just like frost it with a big light and not worry about it the rest of the day. So that's that's all I got. Yeah. Great little tips, Oren. You want to tell folks about our Patreon page? Yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod, you can throw us a buck or two. Fifteen bucks gets you a hat. Uh, just shoot it pod hat. Very cool. Uh, but it is the best way to show your support for the show. It puts money in Noah Bayshore's pocket. He's editing the show, keeping it alive. So if you like listening to this show, it's because Noah is consistent and we can pay Noah thanks to Patreon. So patreon.com slash just shoot pod is the place to help support us. I love that dollar a month. You won't even notice it. It's a significant help for us. And also, it's so nice just to see like people throw a little bit of money in every once in a while. We get an email every time, and it's like, oh, great, a new person. And we get to mention them. Brings me a lot of joy. Anyway, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Check it out. And with that being said, let's go on with the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. John Wolf, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. I don't know if you know, but I have a son named Wolf. Cool. Named after you. Thank you so much. Honored. Um Honored for your son and honored to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. John, I think that you were the only coffee I've had since the pandemic. Wow. And that was like eight months ago from when we're Well, so my, my daughter's seven months old. So right. there you go. Oh, there you go. But it was like kind of in that like little window where like the pandemic felt like maybe it was going to be done. Like we sat down, we had a great time. And I remember being like, oh, man, we should definitely have John on the show. And you were like, yeah, once my TV show was out, that would be cool. And here we are. You've got a new show, The G Word, with Adam Kahn over. Before we dive into that, kind of walk us through your origin story a little bit, maybe starting at how you got started at College Humor. Yeah. Wow. Way back. So I studied film and video at Drexel University. And part of the program at Drexel University is everyone, no matter what your major is across the entire school, has to go out and get some sort of internship as part of your degree. Wait, were you a College Humor intern? I was a College Humor intern while I was at Drexel in the production department back in New York. I've worked at now three or four College Humor offices across the country, but I was an intern there. And then when I graduated, I worked there full-time as a coordinator, moved to LA in 2012 as a producer for College Humor, which is where we cross paths. And that's mm -hmm. where I cross paths with Adam because he was just another writer performer who was part of the stable as a producer at college humor we were really like we were really like pms i would say booking locations getting all the crew together stuff like that but it wasn't so much creative and i was dying to be more of a creative type and pms and production managers production managers yep one of the videos that i was assigned was the very first adam ruins everything webisode before we knew it was a web series before we knew it was a tv series it was just adam had written this sketch video about diamond engagement rings. I lucked out and was the producer who was assigned that script. We made that video. And Paul Briganti directed it, right? Paul Briganti directed it. That's right. I think Adam wasn't even living full time in LA at that point. We had to fly him out specifically to do that shoot. I was going to say that was like the sweet spot of making sketches at College Humor where like budgets were pretty good. Oh, they were so good. Yeah. yeah, we're talking yeah, like the Facebook decimation of mm -hmm. their business model. What's what's a good budget for a web video like $50,000? I think I might have had $50,000 to spend on a video at College Humor if I had two scripts that I could um, like do back to back on two days back to back. Um, and I was able to like amortize costs across those two days. And you don't have to pay the director. You don't have to right. pay any of the in-house college humor people. It, which includes editorial and like camera rentals. So there's a lot of stuff that was amortized across right. and some all cast. of the content. And, and some yeah, cast. Yeah. But like college humor had a corporate parent. And so there were folks looking at our accounting. And so I've never said this publicly. Sometimes what we would do, and I had everybody's approval to do this. Sometimes what we would do is put rentals on the second video like on the second day to be like mm -hmm. oh both of these videos cost twenty five thousand dollars we haven't broken the rule of don't spend more than 25 or whatever the number was at the mm -hmm. time you, you shifted reality, things around a little bit we yeah, were yeah. using the crew on uh on you know the big video i cannot remember if 
um you sure know, so you were you were coding the, both both days of the gaffer to adam ruins everything even though you know you shot a if google was a guy the first right. day or whatever yeah right yeah. Something super, super simple. So anyway, so I was writing the Adam Ruins Everything web series wave for a little bit. I actually missed one of the videos. I don't have a 100% completion rate on Adam Ruins Everything content. Dan Siegel, who is another producer at College Humor, got the got the dogs. Yeah. So I believe he's know. been on our podcast too. He has indeed. Yeah. Awesome. Siegel and Spiegel? What's, the, what's his yeah, team Siegel name? Siegel and Spiegel, sure. the, the team. <laughs> Shane yeah. Spiegel. Yeah. Form, mm-hmm. Another former College Humor intern. I do. This is a small tangent. I I do feel like web video back then really was like a wonderful training ground for for directors and all sorts of craftspeople. But producers, it was so nice that like you were doing like a handful of sketches every single week. So you're really cranking through things the way people do on late late night and things like that. But I, I lament the training ground that those the web video basically was just to kind of get people to cut their teeth really, really quick. Like a college humor producer, they were battle tested sincerely. And so like, you know, I could always pull one of those people in whenever someone decided to go freelance or start a different career or whatever. It was an easy yes to be like, hey, let's bring them on to this commercial or something like that, especially like, you know, short form content. Like I, there was never a doubt. And I, I, I don't know that there's a pipeline like that anymore. It's a real shame. It's a real loss from yeah. that like very, very brief era. And I feel so yeah. lucky to have like hopped in like right at the peak of college yeah. humor. You nailed and, the timing. Yeah. 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 What is the today's equivalent of the training grounds where you can get paid to make short form content? Like, like non-union commercials, maybe. Yeah, but you don't get to shoot 20 things a month yeah right certainly not yeah you're you're not you know college humor would have 22 to 25 year olds running around like managing Mm -hmm. these budgets and also in a bullpen with a bunch of other people so john you're producing adam ruins everything you're like i need a suit tailored you know you know you can tap on your neighbor and be like hey do you know a good place to get adam's suit yeah yeah exactly or whatever (laughs) you know you're making me extremely nostalgic so fast forward adam becomes a tv show and and adam becomes a tv show i was like hey i've always wanted to work in tv um let me please hop onto this tv show full time um college humor allowed me to do that i'm incredibly grateful and i turned that as a producer as a producer yeah like with a capital p with a capital p the initial title i can't remember exactly what it was because i was constantly fighting to get the next title up like it's possible that on the pilot i was um a producer or maybe i was like supervising producer and then when Mm -hmm. it went to series i was like hey can i get co-producer and then um like halfway through the second season or the second year or whatever i was like can i be the ep there's no one else here who is sort of overseeing the things on the show that I was overseeing. What were you overseeing? Like scripts and production and post? Adam and I sort of split the showrunner responsibilities where he would run the room and overall be extremely responsible for all of the creative output of the show. But he's also acting in Mm -hmm. literally every scene. And so I would oversee the line producer and all of the crew, I would go to post and oversee the work that the editors were doing. I would oversee the directors 
And it was through that process that I like refound my love for directing. And I was like, well, as the show was, we started to see the writing on the wall in 2018. And as the show seemed like it was winding down, I was like, this is the safest possible environment for me to try and get some directing credits on my resume because we were lucky enough to have a lot of the same crew the entire time. We had the same DP the entire series. Um, we Who's had your DP? Same, uh, Matt Garrett. Mm. Uh, we had the same first AD for almost the entire TV series, Nick Page. Um, and so I was like, hey, Adam and our producing partner, John Cohen, are you guys comfortable with me pitching myself as a director? They said, yes, of course. Um, True TV okayed me to direct two episodes. And I was like, the only difference from my EP responsibilities to my directing responsibilities at that point was it was my turn to make the shot list, but everything else I was already doing. Mm -hmm. uh, let me ask, uh, because you're also overseeing the budgets and numbers. Uh, was there like any sort of self-imposed anxiety about giving yourself too many toys or did you like say well i'm the ep and i've earned it and i'm gonna go ahead and get the techno crane for the day and sorry <laughs> other directors you know it, it's great to be the ep because i can imagine the psychology of that's complicated right and i right. heard you were using the techno crane just as a flag to so you have right. shade all day mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think the i i can't remember if i ever like um stole from anybody else to try and make <laughs> my uh episodes look cooler um uh but i definitely like the fact that i was there every day and was getting compensated for being there every day you know like we had a lot of great directors come on and essentially like um spend more time in the edit or spend more time sure. in prep than uh uh you know necessarily like we had the weeks for because they cared about the show and they cared about the quality of their work um but I was already there every day. And so I was able to like have this real eagle eye view of like mm -hmm. the schedule and the budget sure. and work. Your with the prep started and, six weeks out instead of, right. You know, my prep two. started okay. like in the writer's room where right. I was like, right. Hey, you know, cause the process was the writers and the researchers on Adam ruins. Everything would, would find these really cool stories about shit that we thought we knew about, but actually there's another angle on it. And they would put them on note cards and uh, put them up on this board. And we would connect the dots and be like, is this the shape of an episode? And for one of the episodes that I directed, I was in the room and I was like, what if we took these three disparate topics? The first one was if you are driving a car and you hit a pedestrian with your car in this country, it is like essentially legal to kill them as long as you don't leave the scene. I cannot remember all of the details now about like the reasons why this is, but drivers in this country were like insanely protected. Um, the second note card I saw was like, and we're seeing this now with one of the recent Supreme Court rulings where Border Patrol in the country has like an insane amount of power up to like 100 miles from the border, but 100 miles from the border in the United States of America is like two thirds of the population. And then the third topic was about organ donation or selling organs, organ harvesting, and all the issues surrounding that. So truly disparate ideas. Very, very disparate. And I was like, let's do Adam Ruins a Murder, and it's like a CW-style 
episode of TV because we've never done that kind of genre parody. And I love Mm -hmm. that kind of genre. And that turned into one of the episodes that I directed. And I, yeah, this is me not using my powers for good. As an EP on that show, I was like, you know who's going to get assigned Adam Ruins a Murder? John Wolf. I mean, look, I think it's okay. I think everyone in in your position would be like, well, dibs on my favorite episode. Right. I'm going to crush it. I'm the person for the job. That's awesome. And was that the first episode of TV you directed? That was the first episode. It was either Adam Ruins a Murder or Adam Ruins Little Bugs. I can't remember which one we shot first, but that was another episode that I called basically dibs on in the room. Did you feel that it was any different than you expected or you pretty much like knew everything about directing at that point. And you're like, ah, oh, shot listing's harder than I thought. Well, it's, it's so l- less than... about the shot listing, but more about to me, like the things about directing that maybe everyone around directors doesn't realize is a, like how stressful the, mm-hmm. the clock is fighting the clock, you know, be like how decisive you have to be, you know, And it's like better to make a wrong decision than like no decision. I definitely took for granted the breaks that I would get as an EP where I Mm. could wander around set and share my opinion. Or if someone happened Mm -hmm. to have a question that came to me, I would answer that question. And like you're Mm -hmm. saying, Oren, make a decision quickly and then wander over to Crafty and grab a snack or, you know, check my email Mm -hmm. or whatever. But as a director, I was like, oh, this is just nonstop. And I actually cannot leave set at all because then actually nothing will will happen. Truly, sometimes I'm like, if I go use the bathroom, we're going to be behind that amount of time. Yeah. So I better go before we get to set. You know, I think it's easier to have an opinion or to have an an insight, let's say, about a piece of material, like to have a, a great note. When you're not quite so uh, attached to it, Mm -hmm. like if you haven't been responsible for all of the teeny tiny decisions that add up to the thing that you're looking at. And that's what the beauty of an EP is like they're as, you know, in tune with the material, but don't have that baggage, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to say, like, oh, cut this thing that took you 50 hours. Like you don't need it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you feel that at all? Like like the the sweat equity that you put into these creative decisions that cloud your ability to see it objectively. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what you're saying really reminds me of the experience that I had on the G word where I was so sort of emotionally invested in the work that I had done that sitting in the edit as an EP, I was like, I shouldn't be here anymore yeah i was like yeah i should have turned in my director's cut and then let the guys someone else like, yeah yeah you know stay in the room and i would go work with the second editor um i don't know if this is a myth or not but i've heard that spielberg literally has a producer hat and a director hat and he actually <laughs> takes them off and on that's like a symbol of like you know and contradicts himself right yeah says like well the, the producer's like well we don't have the money to do that and then he takes it off and it's like but we really it's essential to the story that we right. and and he looks in a mirror and he plays <laughs> yeah, yeah. both parts yeah yeah and no yeah. one else is um, in the room <laughs> i will say also you know i i didn't quite expect like as a director i really needed to be thinking more visually than i was as an ep because as an ep i had again taken for granted 
sort of the muscle that I had built up of like looking over a director's shoulder and having a conversation with them. And then when mm-hmm. I was the director, there wasn't that person necessarily there every day with me, like being the me. I remember Orin and I do a lot of commercials and I remember doing a, a short. I'd like worked, I'd had a good year. I was like, I'm going to spend a little bit of money on a short and it'll be fun. And I remember calling cut and like literally looking over my shoulder being like, oh, should I check in with Village? Just for like, just as an instinct, just to be like, hey, I think we got it, right? And like, there not being anyone there to check in with and it feeling a little bad, you know, a little, it's nice to have that, that solidarity basically, yeah. you know? My producing um, partner, John Cohen, he, Adam and I have a company called Fairpoint. We work together on Adam Rhodes Everything and we co-created and, and worked on the G Word together. He unfortunately caught COVID while we were working on the G word and was down for like 10 days. And I like really, really missed him being on set yeah. because I was like, I need a producer here to be that, that person to look at and like give a nod or like a thumbs mm-hmm. up or a head shake or, you know, something, some, yeah. some support like that. Even if you disagree with them, even if you look over your right. shoulder and they give you the thumbs up and you're like, well, what are you thinking? I need one more. Right. Right. Like the, it, it's a litmus test of like, what do you really believe about the thing that you just shot? You and know? it's so helpful to have that person to bounce ideas off of, or like it's the equivalent of if you want to make a hard decision, but you don't know what to choose, imagine flipping a coin in the air and, you know, assigning one choice to heads and one choice to tails. And then when it's in the middle, what's in the air, you make the decision. If yeah. You turn to somebody and you give them a thumbs up or they give you a thumbs up and you're like, no, what are you nuts? Like, this is, the, you know, I need one more. Then, you know, in that moment, you're like, oh, that's my gut has answered. I, I need at least that other person to sort of inspire me to check my gut. So you really love directing from your experience on Adam Rins everything. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. And was yeah. it because of the camaraderie? with everyone and just like seeing your vision come to life or was it a little bit more about not having to compromise and fight with other people about like how stuff should be? I I think it is the camaraderie. I mean, I really, really, I haven't been on set in a little bit. I really, really miss being on set and being a leader on set and sort of like meeting all of the crew and like figuring out each of their individual personalities and like, working out by you know day three or day five or something like what's the inside joke that i have with any everybody and like what's the little look that i'm gonna throw at the key grip or the dolly grip um after something there's something about directing that producers don't really get to do which is like you really get to interact with the actors as a director Mm -hmm. yeah which is fun i like having a, a say in that part of the performances as well and this is all very sort of like nice and flowery i guess like i do enjoy control you know the other part of what you're saying like uh, i do enjoy the possibility of from the very beginning like getting to put my own creative spin on it and seeing that actually executed that being said going back to what we were talking about with the like producer over your shoulder like it's a filmmaking and, and television. It's a real big team sport. And so I can't imagine a lot of people do, but I wouldn't work well being the only voice. I'm, I don't sure. think that I'm a auteur. One thing that I feel like as a director is that the shot I have on the screen on the monitor is not as good as what I imagined in my head, you know, when I picture that. And I think as a producer, because you're reacting to like what you see on the monitor, 
as opposed to like picturing something and then trying to match it. It's like you're less disappointed mm-hmm. <laughs> by the footage that you've captured than if you're the director and you're like, we're going to do this, this. And then you get to set and they're like, we can't do- shoot this direction. This machine isn't working. So we're just going to do this other thing. Like, do, do you feel like there's also something more disappointing about being the director instead of the EP in, in that regard? Or I, I think the opportunities for disappointment are are greater because you are doing so much um, creative work up top that the EPs aren't necessarily doing. I remember on Adam Ruins and Murder specifically, when we're talking about the Border Patrol, that act is a black and white parody of the Twilight Zone. And the kids are in this Border Patrol office, but we're talking about stuff that happens outside on the street at checkpoints. And I was like, oh, what if we... And again, this is part of my privilege of being an AP is I could just throw this stuff out in the writer's room um, and talk about it at that point so, so early on. I was like, what if they like open this magic door inside the building, but they're able to like look out and the door is just like floating there in the middle of the highway and they can see what the checkpoint looks like. And the writers were like, great, let's put it in. And I explained it a gazillion times over the course <laughs> of prep and scouting. And I like took so many different photos of like, okay, then we have to have the the outside door here and the green screens in there and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, what you said, Oren, made me think of this is because the shots were sort of exactly how I pictured, I wanted to share that excitement with the crew and made a point of like doing a little dance at village like <laughs> and saying like my vision is being realized and and trying <laughs> to like share that feeling with everybody of like don't You're we like, all crafty person <laughs> smile my vision is being realized my vision did it work i think so i think it did work i can say definitively because she she said it um our script supervisor hannah driscoll appreciated that i would do that and i appreciate her for buying into my stupid little nice. dance yeah Yeah, I love that because I feel like sometimes I will, you know, maybe not in quite such a meditated or or, or, or conscientious way or do that, you know, try to like just kind of be excited. And this is we're all living our dreams. And I feel like every once in a while I'll get an eye roll, (laughs) you know, what I mean? (laughs) just like, oh, cool, John. Yeah, it's a magic door. Uh, Let me know when you need me to wrap up that green screen. Right. Well, you guys, what you guys were talking about this a little bit in the episode with Pete Chapman, I think about like trying to remember like, oh, the joys of filmmaking and, and taking those little moments on set. I think that's really important. And maybe, you know, you see eye rolls from people, but maybe you don't see like later they're like, oh man, Enlo really like, he reminded me that I, I have a special connection to the, you know, this art. Good. I love that, John. Thank you. I appreciate it. Today I was on a tech scout and I was describing, you know, the scene that goes on in this conference room and someone from the production team's like, oh, that's really funny. I love that. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's like what what is in the script? And she's like, oh, I don't usually read the scripts. <laughs> I was like, OK. I mean, it is a page long. I understand. Um, but I was like, uh, you know, that there is especially in the commercial world just like you know there's so many times when like the crew doesn't even know what you're shooting they just know where you know the the other details so it's nice so when you can share your excitement about the shots you're getting and the crew is appreciating it it's yeah you know and i guess i'll also say like you know 
my experience relative to you guys and a lot of other people is extremely limited. I, I, you know, I worked on Adam ruins everything and I worked on the G word. Um, and so I, I was sort of, that's only like six seasons of TV. It's, it's such a bummer. I'm sorry. <laughs> but John. like the Adam ruins everything crew, like we managed to keep a lot of them from the web series sure. days onto the TV show. And so we had this like relationship already. And, you know, like I said earlier, we didn't know how good we had it where, we were all like sharing in this growth opportunity and the magic of like getting to make TV with our friends. And then once mm -hmm. I started to move on to like other projects where it wasn't like literally everyone I knew was on set, then I did start to get that vibe from people of like, Hey man, I don't really care what your name is. Like you tell me where you want to put this light. But I think to your point though, John, I think like if you can inspire a little bit of that joy, it's worth it. Like who cares if you look like a, giddy doofus right like right guilty right it's really really hard to not care what other people think but it's super important to try i think and and not care what other people think the g word as we were developing the show adam john and i were like let's make a show that's anti-cynical which is interesting right transitioning from a show where adam ruins everything right that's fascinating that that was kind of almost an overt you know, decision. Can you give us the logline for the G word real quick? The G word is a hybrid scripted sketch comedy mixed with documentary look at the United States federal government hosted by Adam Conover in his signature fast paced comedy style. If you've seen Adam Ruins Everything, it is extremely similar, except that we stripped out all of the narrative that exists in Adam Ruins Everything. There is no mark uh, in quotation marks, that Adam takes on a journey to explain what exactly is wrong with diamond rings mm -hmm. or X, Y, Z. No one's like, how does the government work? And and Adam is not playing this heightened, you know, magical genie man child version of himself. He is just himself, Adam Conover. The hair is the same. The suit is the gone, hair is the same. The suit is a little more casual. We spend a lot of time talking about what's 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 he going to wear that elevates him, you know, because he's still a television host, but also helps exude like he is a man of the people. You know, he is just mm -hmm. a big thing that we talked about in development. And then I put in my sort of visual pitch deck to higher ground and then onto Netflix is Adam is a viewer stand in and he's a viewer and a guide. And so there are moments in the G word where we're looking over Adam's shoulder at a sketch scene and then the camera will pull back and he will turn to us and he'll be like, wow, I just watched that just like you. And I have some thoughts about that thing that you and I both watched. Um, and let's go talk about it. And then we keep moving. Can you actually tell us a little bit about like the pitching process? So you finished Adam ruins everything. Um, whose idea was the G word and how did and higher ground? That's the Obama's production company. That is correct. Uh, Barack and Michelle Obama have this entertainment company called Higher Ground Productions. They have, I believe, what is a reported $100 million deal at Netflix uh, to be exclusive to create shows for Netflix that they've had for the past few years. The timing was pretty fortuitous. We wrapped up Adam Ruins Everything in the spring of 2019. And Adam, John, and I were working on developing the next Adam-led project. And who's the other John? John Cohen who is another former College Humor producer. He worked primarily in development at College Humor, taking College Humor properties um, and turning them into television shows. And he was an EP on Adam Ruins Everything also? Yes. So the three of you wanted to 
team up again. We had formed a production company in, I want to say 2017 or 2018 in order to develop a talk show starring Adam that unfortunately didn't go to series, um, but we really enjoyed and enjoy working together. And so we, the three of us, created this company called Fairpoint. So the three of us were developing what we hoped would be our next project. So in, in the spring, early summer of 2019, we get a call from our manager saying, hey, Higher Ground Productions, which is Barack and Michelle Obama's production company, um, they have the rights to this book called The Fifth Risk by Michael Lewis. Um, they are trying to turn it into a television show. Do you guys want to go pitch on it? And we said, yes, of course. And who's the meeting with? It's just you, Barack, and like the Secret Service guys? Ugh, I wish. No, the, the, our initial meeting was with two producers at Higher Ground, Tonya Davis and Ada Chiagana. Um, and later we had found out that Ada was a very recent addition to the Higher Ground team. And it was her specifically who had said, hey, we've ha been having some trouble because Barack Obama and Michael Lewis are buds. And, you know, Barack Obama wanted to take this book that is about how the federal government works and turn it into entertainment. And they were having some trouble finding exactly the right partner. And so we were very lucky that Ada was hired by Higher Ground. She suggested Adam ruins everything. Hey, let's talk to Adam Conover. And we were brought in to say, hey, we think our approach to distilling dense information into easy to understand comedic sketches is the way to approach a topic as complex as the United States federal government. And luckily, they bought in and we worked with Higher Ground over the next month or so, I would say, to like write up a description of how we saw the show. Still on savings or had they options Still your, on savings. your take at that point? Still on yeah. savings, unpaid development work. And what was the, what were you tasked with present, like creating a deck, a reel? What are the materials that you're creating to get this show sold, hopefully? First, they needed us to convince the principals of the company, aka Barack and Michelle Obama. Hold on. So you're telling me your next pitch then is with Barack and Michelle Obama? We didn't pitch them directly. We worked with Tonya Davis and Ada mm -hmm. and Priya, who was also there, to create like a prose document. Mm -hmm. Like a leave behind. Yeah, almost. yeah exactly. Yeah. That was like maybe three pages of the theme of the show and our approach to the show and the tone and back to this anti-cynical thing. A lot of people conflate politics and the government and there's overlap, but there's actually a lot of things that the federal workforce does that greatly affects your lives that are separate from all the stupid political shit that has been going on seemingly nonstop forever. Um, uh, Wait, I, sorry. The, I think it's interesting. You call it a prose document. Do you just mean it's like an essay kind of like there's just paragraphs and it's not like here are the characters. Here's the episode breakdown. It's just like, have you ever thought about politics versus government? <laughs> or do you just mean not? It just wasn't a, a dick. It just wasn't like yeah. it, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't like slides of a picture and then a little bit of text. It was all text, no pictures. Um, you mean it was a word document? It was a word document. But the formatting was still like, you know, tone and yeah. then a blurb tone or two. And, and then, then a paragraph. Format yeah. and then a paragraph. Okay, um, yeah. You know, starting... Like the with, good old days. Yeah, exactly. It's my favorite. Um, yeah. Starting sort of like... I always approach those documents and now being in, you know, just a constant state of development. Usually approach them the same way, which is like, 
if I know absolutely nothing about this show, like hold my hand. And so every little thing as I work my way down the page is like a building block on the next thing. So I try and start like not as vague as possible, but like as broad as possible and then sort of like explain what the next yeah like even with like a, a central question or something mm-hmm. like have you ever wondered what the difference between you know government and politics is mm-hmm. for instance it's exactly. like a you know a broad pitch yeah usually we put on there and on this one we definitely put examples of what we would do so on this document was hey we want to do a hybrid we really feel like it's important to go see exactly what people do that was one of the most exciting things about the book is that michael was able to like go talk to a lot of folks who either did currently work in government or had worked in government. And he really does a nice job of like painting the picture of what their day to day is like. And we were, we felt compelled to bring the Netflix audience along with us uh, Mm -hmm. in that same way. And we, you know, obviously wanted to use the sketch comedy stuff to um, explain history or explain complex topics like uh, super quickly. Um, but we knew that we needed to like go do this doc stuff. So we had in this pitch document, Adam is going to go up in a hurricane plane. Just to get granular, like formatting wise, is that like, you know, Adam will go on crazy adventures, examples, and then bullet point, Adam goes on a hurricane plane, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think we broke down specifically the the episode that turned into weather, which was, mm-hmm. for example, we would make an episode for, because this was one of the topics that Michael covered pretty um, heavily in his book. Um, and so we were able to say, first, Adam walks us through the amazing work that the scientists at the National Weather Service do uh, right, all across right, the country. Yeah. And he does this in his signature visual style. Um, and then we go meet them and we go to Florida mm-hmm. and we meet um, a couple of NOAA hurricane hunters who say, oops, surprise, Adam, you're going to go up in this hurricane plane. And Adam is surprised. And he says, oh, mm-hmm. no, but I don't even like roller coasters. Um, but oops, now he's experiencing a lot of turbulence. Um, but he's talking to the scientists and he gains a newfound appreciation for the work that they do every time there's a hurricane in order to give us that information. What I love about even just kind of like off the top of your head explanation of how that document was phrased is you're getting plot, you're getting pacing, you're getting voice, you're getting tone all kind of mixed in there and in a kind of a show don't tell sort of way. Like it would be easy to be like, Adam has a funny adventure, right? Like that's the worst pitch ever. Right. But like showing the ways in which these are the types of jokes that he would say and that, and that they're specifically, you know, kind of tied to the idea that he's sort of the audience's proxy for experiencing these things. All of that stuff is inherently kind of woven into the document. That's really smart. I love that. It was really important for us to, do that, I would say to anybody, like know who the audience is for any of these documents. We knew that we were going to be like one of a dozen or who knows how many um, packets that were going to be put in Barack Obama's binder for the weekend as he was like off in Martha's Vineyard or wherever reading stuff and approving stuff for the company. And so we weren't going to be able to rely on Adam's charisma in the room or in a Zoom to be able to like sell a joke, we needed to put it on the page and make sure that it was clear and funny on the page from just anybody glancing at it. And once Barack Obama gave the sign off that, yes, let's bring this to Netflix, then we put together what I would say would be a slightly more recognizable 
pitch PowerPoint with slides, a little bit of video, like we cut together a sizzle of some visuals from Adam Ruins Everything as a way of saying, hey, here's our brand. It's this hyper visual comedy brand. Yeah. And we talked to the Netflix doc department because they had pre-sold the adaptation of The Fifth Risk to the documentary, I want to say documentary series group over at Netflix. And we we sold them on the idea. The work that that we do and that we have done sort of exists. I mean, it's it's nonfiction, but it exists in this liminal space in the industry between scripted and unscripted, um, where I believe we've always been categorized, even on Adam Ruins Everything, which was a fully scripted television show, like I said, with character arcs as an unscripted show. And we're like fighting against the tide of like, hey, just because it's nonfiction doesn't mean that it can't also be scripted. Do you create the doc parts first and then script around them? Or how does the relationship between the scripted and doc stuff work? It was a bit of a chicken or the egg. And I remember having this conversation like multiple times all along the way because we knew that we would learn something on the road. And that when we went out and went to the National Weather Service or when we talked to public health workers on the ground, uh, that we would want to uh, apply what we had learned back into the scripts. Um, And also, we knew pretty early on that we didn't want the show to feel sort of disjointed. You know, Adam like looks directly into camera and is like, all right, everybody, see you later. I'm going to go film the documentary. And if you don't like documentary, fast forward through this part. Like it still needed to have like that same tonal levity to it, right? Yeah, exactly. And we wanted to like keep people on their toes. Mm -hmm. And so we set ourselves up with this idea of like, let's make the transitions as seamless as possible from scripted to documentary and from documentary to scripted which I love that idea. It just ended up being super, super hard in practice because we were like... How so? Yeah. And, and also, I think it's worth it to remind listeners, John, you only directed only, you know, not like it was easy, but like you, you were the director of the scripted sketch parts, right? And there was a separate director who was doing all of the documentary pieces, right? Yes. So not, not only is it hard just to transition, transition because there's a a genre shift, but also it's two different captains, basically. Yeah. And I was so lucky that we brought on um, Nika Onora, um, who directed The Legend of the Underground for HBO Max. Uh, She directed all of uh, Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls on Amazon. I believe right now she's on a Megan Thee Stallion feature. Um, She doc feature? uh, I believe so. These are all doc Yes. She comes from a doc world. She comes from a doc background. Um, and she was a great partner in, like you're saying, Matt, like making sure that we were in lockstep the whole way, like making a cohesive show. How did you find her? She was a recommendation from Netflix. Our executive at Netflix, uh, Cameron Jewell, he had worked with Naka on a show called, I want to say First and Last, um, which was about the first and last days that someone was incarcerated. And mm-hmm. you guys absolutely have to have Nika on to talk about that show because like her ability to identify characters in the field and approach them and get their sign off to participate in a television show on what I can only imagine is one of the most difficult days of their lives is like her, her skill with that is uh, unparalleled. Cam gave us that rec. 
We brought her in, talked to her, clicked with her, and uh, brought her on to helm the doc stuff. I do want to say we sold the show and started working on the show in uh, the winter of early winter of 2020. Um, and so we had a different team at that time. Mm -hmm. We had finally gotten all of the pieces in place. Everyone was finally together. Um, and then the NBA shut down. And we were like, oh, maybe this COVID thing is real. Anybody who wants to can work from home on Friday. And then on Friday, we said, hey, actually, everyone has to work from home. Um, please. Right. When you say winter of 2020, you mean on the January side, on not the on January the December side. side. Yeah. And so we had a we had a doc director and a doc producer who did a lot of um, prep work in the early days of COVID. But um, mm -hmm. when we finally spun back up again in 2021, weren't available to continue on. Available. Available. And so at that point, uh, we were connected with NACA and went from there. Um, nice. And so when you guys started production, you had you knew what every episode was going to be. You knew what the sketches were going to be and you knew who you were going to interview for the doc stuff. We didn't know who we were going to interview for the doc stuff um, when we entered production. Gosh, because it's it was spread over so many years, like the episodes changed so much um, over that time. And we were just we had an, we have an episode called disease um, that is about the response to COVID-19. And so we were like, how far can we move the goalposts on this episode mm -hmm. um, without it being um, outdated or um, uh, like incorrect, like not as irrelevant as it could be. Yeah, irrelevant. Yeah. Was Trump president when you guys shot that? When we shot the show, he was not president. You know, we were producing the show in 2020. There was a little bit of when the doc team would reach out to different government agencies, they would pick and choose, hey, maybe on this one, we don't say that we are a higher ground production. We're just a Netflix show because we know that some folks may or may not participate based on who the principals are involved in the show. Once the election results came in and then once the insurrection results came in, we were like, oh, OK, well, maybe now that the Biden administration is coming in, um, mm -hmm. we may have an easier time like getting connected to some of these agencies. They may be more willing to participate in the show than folks in the Trump administration would have been. We talked earlier about your work on Adam Ruins Everything as an EP and working with all these different directors and seeing different people in action. I'm assuming maybe you learned some things from them. That show, which has very much a very strong voice and visual language, was directed by a bunch of different people. What made you decide that on this show, one person is going to direct all the scripted stuff? The pandemic. Interesting. Was there a, a plan to have other directors come in before the pandemic? I think if we weren't dealing with COVID restrictions and budget limitations, that there was a mm -hmm. chance that we would have had multiple scripted directors um, mm -hmm. on the show. We probably would still have had one documentary director across the whole series. But as far as the scripted directors had gone, you know, I had only been contracted. I had put in my deal, hey, Wolf gets to direct one episode. Mm -hmm. um, and then as the years went on and it became clear that it would be most effective for us to cross-board the show, for us to cut up all the scenes that are take place in the white psych or all the scenes that take place in the hospital and put them on the same day, regardless of what episode it was. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that we need to limit the amount of bodies on set. Um, I think I was in a good position to uh, receive all of the episodes as the, the sole scripted director. 
Um, and also I had put, I'm a co-creator on the show and I had put in a ton of creative work on the front end. And I think th this is like me, my partner speaking through me to like give me credit for stuff, good stuff that I've done. But like, you know, I put the work in and I convinced the people like, Hey, actually Wolf is a, is a not bad mm -hmm. choice. Um, he actually can do it. No studio executive is like, yeah, just give it to so-and-so, right? Like, especially when we're talking about directing, you do have to lay that groundwork, right? Otherwise, they'll just call in someone else, right? I remember being in uh, the higher ground offices and saying, I'm going to, oh, and I would like to be considered to direct on the show, was I believe how I phrased it, which is like mm -hmm. pretty noncommittal. I just would like to be considered. Sure. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. the look that I got of like, got it, I'm going to have to talk to someone else about um, who the fuck you are. <laughs> Wait, who who gave Wait, me that yeah, look? paint this picture a little bit more flesh this out a little more for us john i mean we're sitting in a meeting i'm not going to name any names we're we're sure, sitting in course. a meeting in in the higher ground offices it's me with executives with executives right, yeah um it's me john cohen adam um we're talking about you know how we're going to run the show um mm -hmm. and, and but, but sorry just to clarify you haven't sold the show to netflix yet so you're you're saying hey i, I would agree. like to bake into the agreement that i get a slice of the pie basically and, and also you know we were describing sort of our like strange three-way partnership where like adam uh and especially with this show you know because he's the face and the voice of it like he is ultimately mm -hmm. at the top of the org chart um, mm -hmm. uh, but there are certain things in our past work, like Adam ruins everything that he was not responsible for. And those responsibilities fell to John Wolf. And so it would be like, yes, and here's how I worked with the line producers and here's how I worked with the editors, et cetera, mm -hmm. and laying out exactly what John Cohen does as well. And somewhere in the course of that conversation, um, is when I said, I would like to be considered to direct on the show and got this very nondescript look and realized mm -hmm. oh actually no one's gonna hand you anything just because mm -hmm. you co-created the show and it was a really good learning moment for me i hope i learned from it um but i was like oh yeah there's actually like a ton of ton of work that i need to do in order to build up this person's trust in me because i just rolled mm -hmm. off the street they didn't they just wanted adam they don't care who i am um, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, okay, Adam says that he makes his stuff with these two guys, but we just met you. And so over the sure. course of the next couple of years, I worked as best as I could over zoom to be like, here's who I am. And then at the end of that, I, you know, ended up being, um, the sole scripted director on the show. So it's all about the, the, you know, the, the groundwork that you're doing in advance of all of that. But what, what's interesting to me about that is that I'm assuming the executive that you you spoke to where you said you wanted to be considered to direct, it's not that they had an opinion about your ability to direct one way or the other. The question is purely, how do I sell this guy to my bosses? Because I can tell it'll be an issue if I say no, right? Adam believes in this guy. Like, that's the, that's the only leverage you have. It's like, okay, like, we're working together. You're making the show with us. This seems like it could be a sticking point. So how do I justify it? Right. Right. And that's in maybe the most cynical terms, right? I'm sure it's probably. No, but I think that that's but, accurate. I, I not being this person, 
that sounds right to me. That's how I would approach it, I suppose. Um, as right. An EP. Um, and so it's like, okay, what do you do? You look at your track record, your IMDB, right? Like, okay, has he done this before? Oh, great. He's done a couple episodes that Adam ruins everything. That's one, you know, point for him. Right. And again, you start adding up every time you say something smart or you bring up a production concern or pitch right. a shot. And then all of a sudden, eventually it becomes a no brainer basically. Right. Right. I, uh, it's also key. I think that John, like on day one said, I want to be considered to direct an episode, yes. which is, yeah. Cause I think so many people are, are afraid to say that and they wait till the end to say mm-hmm. that. And they're like, Oh, well we already, you know, had this other, they've already made a list mm-hmm. of directors, you know? Right. You need to set people's expectations. You need to let them know that an ask is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and yeah, like, like earlier is better. Yeah, right. because then you're getting, they're going to react, they're going to have a first reaction at some point. Mm-hmm. And if you're worried, like I was a little bit, uh, maybe how that uh, conversation was going to go, I was like, the more times that we can have this conversation, the more opportunities I have to convince someone. And so let's mm-hmm. just get this first reaction out of the way. Let me open the door a crack and then they will have already had this moment in their heads later in two weeks or whenever it was when I was like, Hey, so, um, uh, me, Adam and John put together this visual deck. Really. It was all me sharing my ideas about how I see the show visually. And that Mm -hmm. was big, glossy photos, text explaining, Hey, we, what I was saying before, we want Adam to be a viewer stand in and a guide. We want him to be, elevated but also a man of the people um here are shot ideas that i have um Mm -hmm. and i i think that plus like what you were saying matt the occasional smart thing in a meeting um helped to build up trust over time and also i've noticed like if you just have people you put yourself in a different frame like all of a sudden when producer john wolf is talking about shots or about pacing or about editing or music it's like oh he's a director also so he's thinking about it from like literally Mm -hmm. how are we going to capture it on set um right because i've worked with so many people that i didn't even realize were directors a script supervisor this or that and what they bring up that they're a director like way after we work together like changes the way like i i i listen to them moving on you know right think exactly moving on so even back to my college humor days when I realized, hey, I didn't want to be a line producer. That was just not the career for me. It was way too stressful negotiating. I hate that was the worst mm-hmm. part was like sitting in some office of a location and trying to get them to come down on a rate. Um, and I was like, I want to be creative. That's the reason why I went to film school in the whole in the first place. And whether this was explicit or or I just figured this out on my own, I can't remember. But I was like, nobody at College Humor sees me that way. They see me as this really great production manager. And I bring my episode, you know, I bring my webisodes in on time and under budget or on budget, or I'm very clear about when we're going over budget, et cetera. And there's no reason for them to want to move me out of that position if they've got this stellar right. DM. Um, and so I need to somehow show people publicly that I have this creative side of myself. Um, and I, I took it upon myself to make like, uh, these like 60 second Instagram only videos 
for a full year um, called Saturday Shorts. And I did them with Matt Pollock and David mm-hmm. Kearns, uh, another mm-hmm. uh, uh, college humor guy, just as a way to be like, hey, he's got some creative output. And a lot of them are stupid, but... Uh, and you were uh, directing these? I was di- I was conceiving of a lot of them. I was directing. Yeah, like I think it's a valuable lesson to our listeners who are directors but are working in other mm-hmm. aspects of the entertainment industry like a tell people that you want to direct it, and there is this fear because right like hey if i'm an amazing dp or i'm an amazing editor like why are people going to hire mm-hmm. me to direct because there's like so many amazing directors looking for work and they're it's harder to get a great line producer a great editor a great so like i'm less replaceable than the directors why is someone going to think of me as a director it's, you know, there's obviously being, knowing a show inside and out is helpful, but also just, you know, making content and showing people that you're a good director, not just a director, you know, mm-hmm. um, in addition to having this well-rounded background is like super valuable. I have been blessed to have directed these two series, Adam Ruins Everything and The G Word, um, but a little bit a little part of me feels like, oh, it's it's also a little bit of a curse because I was so deeply ingrained in those shows mm-hmm. that um, it's possible that someone may look at my body of work and say, well, but I don't know that he can hop on to XYZ show. Yeah. Like he's only yeah, ever like Judd Apatow gets that all the time. It's like, uh, <laughs> he's like writing and producing all of the movies that he shoots. So like, can he really direct something else? Right. Well, this is what keeps me up at night, Matt. You know, like my anxieties are real. Okay, I I don't mean to downplay it. It's a backhanded compliment, John. <laughs> well, on that note, though, what's what's next for you? The G word is is complete. The G word is complete. All episodes available now on Netflix. Please, if you start watching, just keep watching, or just let the Netflix just watch the whole six episodes, and then if you need to come back and watch it yourself later, that's fine. But just have the machine pretend like it's just, seen the whole episode. Do, do it twice. Whole series. You finally find out what the G stands for at the last right, episode. The so it's end, worth it. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. really nice. Denouement. Um, <laughs> we're in development on a couple other projects, trying to find the next thing for Adam to lead. Got a game show in development. We have a, a scripted adult animated comedy that I'm taking the lead on. So I'm working on a pilot right now. All sorts of development materials. Right now, um, I'm working on the script. And then once that's once that gets uh, sign off, then we'll move on to, you know, character designs and stuff like that. And I'm producing a short and I'm getting married. Very full slate. Busy. Well, and you, you left out Ronnie Chang takes Chinatown, the Netflix special as well, right? Which you guys did as also. Yes, we did a special for uh, Netflix as a joke um, on their YouTube channel called Ronnie Chang takes Chinatown that I EP'd that it was uh, just a blast. Just extremely fun. If you like Ronnie or if you like I would say curb your enthusiasm. Please check that out. Uh, Ronnie Chang takes Chinatown. We've got some great cameos. Uh, if people want to follow you personally, are you on Twitter or Instagram or any of those places? Yeah, find me on Instagram, jwolfstagram, J-W-O-L-F-S-T-A-G-R-A-M. I'm on Twitter, jwolftweets, but honestly, the Twitter stuff is so depressing. If you want me, if you want to see retweets of uh, what's going on in local LA politics, J Wolf tweets, but mostly I'm on Instagram. I put I, my my most recent Instagram posts are these behind the scenes looks at how I storyboarded a couple of 
uh, key sequences from the G word. So if you're interested in those, check that out. That's a Wolfstagram on Instagram. John, do you have a few more minutes to hang out and endorse with us? Yeah, I would love to. I've been looking forward to this. Unpaid endorsements. My unpaid endorsement is 1994 blockbuster Twister, which is on HBO Max and honestly is even better than you remember. It's an incredible You're shaking your head in ecstasy. It's great, right? It's so good. It's great. It has come on multiple times as I've been in hotels. What a perfect movie. And you forget also Michael Crichton is a screenwriter on that movie. It's fun. It's like goofy. It knows what it is. All the set pieces are awesome. I watched it a few weeks back and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. So my unpaid endorsement is go watch Twister, everyone. If that is a great summer movie. It, uh, an awesome movie. I don't know if this is allowed during this segment, but our line producer on the G word used Twister to convince us to cut a scene down to make it more producible. Um, we had written a scene in the weather episode that was like this huge rain machine and a steady mm-hmm. cam and a crane and all this stuff. And he was like, dude, watch the beginning of Twister when the little girl and her family are in the bunker. They sell the scariness of a storm without all of the tricks that you guys are trying to ask for. Check that out. And we did. And we rewrote the scene. Yeah. And that's the beginning of the weather episode. Does it just sound? And like shaking hinges and stuff. Ours is a pale imitation of what they're able to accomplish on Twister. But Twister was the inspiration for the beginning of the weather episode. I have been watching and loving RuPaul's Drag Race, All Stars, All Winners on Paramount+. Plus. It's a season of RuPaul's Drag Race, All Stars, where all of the queens have won previous seasons. And so they're all amazing at what they do. Yesterday, I literally Googled... Uh, like my wife was asleep on the couch. It usually is by 8.30 p.m. every night. Um, and I was like, what can I watch that she would not want to watch? So I Googled, like, what should I watch on TV right now? And so I saw this show. I saw players on there, but I don't have Paramount Plus. So I didn't check it out. But I saw a show called The Bear. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Hulu, Hulu show. Yeah, yeah. Or Hulu, yeah. FX on Hulu or one of those different. Yes, uh, yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so I think the guy that wrote and directed it and created it what worked on rami that show mm-hmm. um he's done a bunch of other things and it's like i can't figure out if it's good or bad but i'm i'm really enjoying it and my wife was like this show is too stressful i can't watch it but to <laughs> me that the fact that a show can have like a such a visceral effect on someone means they're doing something right like there's some performances in there or camera mm-hmm. work or something that is affecting you psychologically like she had to leave the room basically. She's like, I can't sleep on this couch anymore. There's something about the characters. Everyone hates everyone, but they're all, they all have to work together and they're all trying to make it work in their own separate ways. And it's just like, if you're into food at all, and like, it's basically about this guy that worked at like a French laundry, you know, like one of the best restaurants in the world as a chef. And now he is taking over his family's like beef steak you know, like a diner, basically. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah, even yeah. a diner, like a. It almost reminds me of you know Wiener Circle and at in Chicago, like just a place you walk in and get a sandwich mm-hmm. and has like two booths. Uh, my other thing is, I did get this like Max Studio, the M1 Max, and I was telling Matt right before this, I had like a really beefy like iMac before this, and it's like night and day difference working in After Effects and bringing in like 4K video files, and so I was like really skeptical, like. Because it's a totally new processor. I didn't even know if 
if I would feel the difference, like, or if all my, none of my software would work as well as it used to, but it's like, a, it's amazing. If you're wondering if it's worth it, I, I think it is. Anyhow, that's all I got. Guys, a real pleasure. Thank you so, so much for asking me to be John. So great. Well, thanks, John. If you want to email us questions that we are happy to forward on to John, if you have any comments, thoughts, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us across all social media at justshootitpod. We would love for you to rate us on iTunes. That would make us really happy. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash justshootitpod. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Smitey Pileg. And on Instagram, I am at O Kaplan. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. You can follow him at Noah Bayshore with a Y. The music you're listening to was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 